As a warning, adult content might be in this show. A lot of this is freeform. Swearing happens. And if that offends you, or you have little ones around, or I don't know, whatever it may be, don't play this in that atmosphere. Other than that, fucking enjoy. Hey everyone, this is episode 51 of the EFB podcast. We're going to be talking underwater adventures. Easily one of the most difficult things to run for a player or even to play as a player. Hell, I got rid of water in my setting. I mean, I did replace it with air combat and sky sharks, but you get the point. There are serious hurdles, which are going to be our topics today. So let's dive in. Damn it. I did not mean to do a pun. Fuck it. We're keeping it. Topics today are water, design, gears, ships, underwater monsters, tips and tricks, and of course, the clothes. I gotta say, I ran a lot of underwater, and these topics are um, taking many years to figure out how to handle. So I hope I can help you. Before I forget, remember you can call into EFP. You can either use the Anchor app at anchor.fm online, or you can download it on your phone. It's on iOS and Android. Call in, leave a message, and I will put your question on the show. I would love to have a Q&A section on this podcast. So anything you've heard in previous episodes, drop the EP number, the episode number, and... Uh, I'll answer your questions. I want to share my knowledge with you. So let's talk about water. There are many problems with water in a tabletop RPG, uh, from the obvious of players drowning because they can't breathe water to how do they move under it? Can they swim long enough? And then is pressure involved? Is this sci-fi or is it fantasy? Do they have a vehicle, the right gear? Water has numerous hurdles. And I know that water sounds awesome in your head. You're like, yeah, underwater combat, sahagin, sharks, giant whales, coral reefs. And it all sounds great until you go to do it and you get to the table and it becomes a mechanical nightmare. But it doesn't have to be that way. And there's a few questions I ask myself before I run a water set piece. And those questions are Really easy. One, read the rules. See what the system you're running has to say about water and how it functions. Have it be fantasy or sci-fi. They usually have underwater combat rules. Decide if those should be implemented. If the people are local, live there, maybe that uh, that penalty that is involved for underwater combat, because let's be honest, all underwater combat has a penalty. Unless you breathe water and have a swim speed in whatever system or game you're playing, there are penalties to it swinging weapons underwater, and so on. If that is the case, know what they are. Tell the players in advance so that they can try to build characters to overcome it. You are giving them a hurdle and the chance to overcome it. And then this is if they live there. And then you also got to think about the ideas of water. Of how murky is it? Is it freshwater? Is it seawater? These are questions you should ask yourself. And honestly, do your research. If you have Disney+, Plus, go watch all the National Geographic stuff that they have on there. Look up YouTube videos. Watch diving videos in both freshwater and in non-freshwater. 
come up with things that work. My personal favorite is still The Abyss. I blame my father for it. No matter when it was on TV, we would watch it. But know the hurdles of water for the mechanics and the setting you are running. If you're running Dark Sun and you have water, I hate to tell you this, your players are fucked. They don't know how to swim. But if you are running something like Aslant uh, in the AP that came out for that through Paizo, they should know how to swim and handle their shit. That should be part of what they did when they built their characters. So keep this in mind. Think of the hurdles of water for the system and game. And as we go through this, start looking for ways that they can be implemented in your game as not just hurdles, but things that can be fun for your players, problems to solve. Design. Uh, this topic should be huge. I don't know if it's going to be. You need to design your adventure, or if this is a pre-written, you need to read over how they are handling the rules that we just talked about in the pre previous segment. Rules are important. And these are the main questions that you should ask yourself. Are the players native? Does the campaign play take place 50% or more in water? Is it 100% water? Or is it just an adventure, a set piece? Then you have to ask yourself, is the water meant to be a hurdle, a hazard, like a problem that they have to overcome? Or is the water supposed to be the environment no different than if you are dealing with air in the real life or if you lived on a planet that has exceptionally strong gravity, you know how to deal with that as well and you're built for it. If they're not built for it, but they are going to be there for a while, how are the players going to handle those moments? As a GM, make sure that you have a note card with the rules for water for the campaign because like I said, most of us don't most of us don't use water in a game. So you shouldn't expect your players to know how to handle it. Instead, give them a piece of paper or a note card that has it on there. Trust me, a bookmark. If you print a bookmark and cut bookmarks up, you are saving yourself a lot of trouble because it's already other player's handbook. On top of that, if the design isn't your own and it's somebody else's, look through the design and then go online and look at how other GMs have handled it. There's a large community out there that's easy to find now, no matter what system you are playing. Now, I do think, and this is this is a personal opinion, water can be a great set piece if you handle it properly. I design my adventures around showing my players the issues of water and also the great things they can do with it. For example, an underwater city that is full of air, but your people have the ability to breathe water and air. Being able to break doors and fill that place with water is no different than decompressing an area in space and sending people out. You're, you're giving your players a fighting chance for being smart. So look at the design of how water can be used in your setting. And again, keep those key elements. Are they from here? Is it a one-time adventure? Is it 50%? And more than anything, do you have your rules ready to run an underwater game? Gear. Let's talk about how gear makes all the difference for how much water is going to affect your game. This is no different than going to find a creature that you need to fight that needs magical items to bypass. Or you need a certain strength of bomb or the perfect run to blow up the Death Star. Gear is pivotal to underwater, specifically if they're not native to it. I, I, there's so many ways that you can do it, but I guess the two things I always think of is this. In magic societies where you can breathe water for X amount of time, wouldn't it make sense that water breathing potions are maybe cheaper than, I don't know, healing potions? The rules may say it's fourth level, but maybe in your setting, it's not. 
if it's that common, maybe those are things they have to buy, buy and have on hand. But they can only survive underwater for so long. The other option, if it's an underwater campaign, all underwater, and they need to do surface level stuff, you got to give them potions of air breathing or an ability to do so for a certain amount of time. I mean, look at Star Wars. The Jedis would dive underwater with just a mouth breather in. Technology can be solutions to the problem of breathing water. Besides breathing, you got moving underwater. If you don't have a swim speed, you need a device that can give you one. I love when my players are using fly underwater. That was a really good cheat for me because there was at the time nothing that gave you a swim speed that I can think of. In sci-fi games, they get the little runabouts or in Shadow Run where they get the little the run behinds that as a, someone who dives, you use. And then if you're dealing with really cloudy water, I think dark vision is a really cool way to handle that for like dark underwater areas. Dark vision means you can see cloudy water, though. You'd have to have something else like blind sight or some form of echolocation like a dolphin. Those kind of things could be really cool to give gear pieces that maybe work for so long and then break. Cypher system handles that really well with the artifact that one in six, one in 10, one in 20 for how often you have a chance for your device to break down. Now, gear for certain scenes. I, I really love underwater combat, but it's hard to swing a sword underwater. I mean, when you dive, you use a harpoon and a spear for a reason. It cuts water better than a sword. But there's only so many pointy objects that you can use underwater. But grappling is an option. If you can hold somebody and choke them out or pull their mask off, these become really important things. Think about how grappling works. And if someone can't breathe water, taking away their ability to breathe becomes a huge part of combat. Specifically, look at all the James Bond movies that this has happened in, where they're pulling the mouth, you know, the respirator off somebody so they can't breathe underwater. I kind of think that's awesome. Or goggles in salt water. Or pinning somebody against coral. There's a lot of environmental effects that you can use that you can't do on the surface. The last thing I will say about gear is this. Again, going back to those three things of, are they native? Is it 50% of the game? Is it all time? Is it one Is it one adventure? So four things. Is it, I forgot. Is it one adventure? If it's supposed to be a hazard they have to overcome for one adventure, don't give them as much. Make it difficult. But make sure when you're scaling your encounters, you are adding the difficulty of being water into your encounter and into your scenes and set piece itself. Here's important, but have those options ready, do your research, and have a list of things ready for players to use that make sense for underwater combat. Ships and vessels are normally related to riding the surface of the water. But in sci-fi and modern, you have submarines. These are a big thing. You have the ability to use submarines as a way, a submersible, to travel underwater. But in fantasy, there are things like this too. Underwater mounts, the ability to swim, a magical item. There are tons of things you can do to give people the chance to use ships underwater. I've had really good, like, I think one was like a whale to a school of sharks with players on them, attacking each other underwater with harpoon guns and pulling each other off over to get into combat. There's this three-dimensional piece that you can add into underwater combat with vehicles you normally can't add. This isn't even talking about things as simple as having flippers or transforming as a druid into an underwater creature and another player using them as a mount. There's some cool pieces you can do. This also lets all you fans of your gnomes and dwarves out there craft an apparatus that's like a bubble around your head for fantasy. On the sci-fi end, 
a lot of spaceships can survive underwater if they can handle it. That's really cool. Watertight, you know, you gotta be airtight. You're probably watertight. Or if you're not, um, setting them up to be. Maybe they land in a port and they get everything retrofitted to make sure there's no leaks anywhere. Because really, you know, if we, if we all watch certain Star Wars series like The Mandalorian that's recently out, or other sci-fi movies in general, you only have to have certain areas pressurized. So that's pretty important. Having pressurized areas means those would work underwater, but the other parts might not. Great concept of a sinking ship that everyone's in and one area is pressurized and everyone's fighting to get into it for a sci-fi fantasy. It doesn't matter the game. So think about these things with ships and how you can use them in your game. Surface to underwater is also really cool. The old bell divers and the idea of being connected to air is a great way to do an adventure in a small area to stop your players from going everywhere. So think about vehicles and how you can use them. And if you have ideas on vehicles, like I said earlier, call in. I would love to hear what vehicles you would use to make underwater more enjoyable. My specialty, monsters, and specifically underwater monsters. Monsters are this thing that are a combination of ship, creature, Maybe as far as an underwater cave, because monsters underwater have this larger than life feel. In our real world, we have things like blue whales, which are just astronomically large compared to what we're used to seeing on land, because the buoyancy allows them to survive. Look at the crazy amount of stuff and just, just take D&D. Look through the large creatures that you can use underwater and how crazy of a set piece you can build Two megalodons with titans underwater riding them is awesome. But you can't use titans against low-level people. And in low-level games, there are still monsters like Sahagin. And just give goblins water breathing. And you have this great underwater conflict that you would never see anywhere else. Have them using schools of fish as a druid to attack people. There are set pieces with creatures that you normally never get to use on land. Because when you're on land, you have anything that's in land, on a mountain, in the air, on top of that, you have planar creatures that could come across. Things that you only see that breathe air. Underwater, you have a whole new array of monsters that you've never gotten to use. And adding water breathing to a race, we've already seen, or an ancestry, if you're playing PF2, we've already seen it. Look at how they've handled sea elves, or how they've handled goblins that can breathe water. Sahagin, lizard folk, maybe some are amphibious. Endless possibilities. I, actually, I have more for this underwater monster thing. I personally would love a series of underwater monsters that come out that are divided between underwater monsters, amphibious monsters, and then some form of planier creatures that exist that come from the elemental plane to here, or honestly, from the abyss or from uh, maybe one of the nine layers of hell for fantasy. For sci-fi, we already get a lot of that. Star Wars has so many underwater creatures. Um, and then if you're looking at things like modern day, we don't understand underwater. Some of the best horror movies have to do with water because there's something creepy about water itself. You're free-floating. You don't feel safe. Honestly, the water itself is a monster. There's... So much horror you can run with that. And I'm saying that as someone who loves to run horror. 
But I would like to see a book to come out that kind of covers that gambit of just underwater creatures. If you know of one, let me know. I can't think of one offhand. And the other thing I was going to say that I, I forgot about in the last section, if you are running underwater monsters, make them things that your players, not only do they not see, make them things they don't understand. Uh, aberrations are fantastic. Scum uh, for fantasy games. In sci-fi settings, the idea of sentient octopi, which are in, I think, Numenera, are a great way to have to deal with a new race, uh, a, a species of people. And uh, to the beloved Darcy Ross, slugs would be great and snails and that kind of thing that you don't deal with. If you're running superhero stuff, underwater combat is handled totally different. While I'm not a fan of the Aquaman movie that came out visually, the concept of what it looked like is stunning. It's a lot of stuff underwater you can do with monsters that you could not do on the surface. And I think the size of monsters allows you to do a lot more too. As a kaiju fan, Pacific Rim, underwater is where it's at. You want to deal with big monsters, let's do it. I think that might be a good episode. How to handle kaiju. Hmm. Thontia has finally come to Patreon as a micro setting and eventually to be published. It's a Pathfinder 2E system and it is what our live stream is based around. We've been playing in this set piece for over 15 years and it was finally time to bring it to you. So if you're interested in playing in Athontia or you want to know more about it, check out my Patreon at Eric Frankhouse Presents. If you want to see what the game plays like, Try our live stream. You can find it under the same name on Twitch or on YouTube for our replays. Don't forget, side quests air the opposite weeks. Those are moments in between our live stream. Give a little more depth of character. We hope to see you soon. And remember, join our Discord. We're all there to talk, have a good time, and play games. Tips and tricks. I, I have a lot of ideas for this. Um, I've ran a recent amount of underwater games, and I had the honor of helping build Razor Coast. Razor Coast is a very sandbox pirate game uh, published by Frog God Games and produced by Lou Agresta from the brainchild of Nick Logue. And I loved working on this project with them. And there are so many crazy ideas of how to handle an adventure above ground naval combat on water and underwater combat. It was definitely a part of this, but I've also ran a lot of underwater stuff in some of my own games. And I guess what I always ask myself, and I mentioned this earlier is do I want water to be a hindrance or do I want to be a beautiful set piece? And if you're going for the hindrance part, make it so they're only in it for short time frames, a combat here and there drowning them inside of a trap and how to get out while they're dealing with skeletons using piercing weapons or maybe it's sci-fi and their ship crashes into an ocean and they're surviving in there in a compressed area, but they're running out of food. Those are really good like hurdle moments that like there are a set piece you do once. But when running a campaign in it, I make sure that I give a little player's guide, just a one sheet, Google Doc it, a paper docket, whatever you want to do 
that says, hey, here's the options that are available. I recommend uh, this is a fishing village or maybe it's in a world well in like some other plane of existence that goes to the elemental plane of water and they go in there often to find food sources and maybe they do pearl diving there. Maybe there's really rare coral that is gem encrusted that they sell. And I make sure that they know the gear that they can purchase and it's expensive. Uh, but if they come back with the right stuff, they can purchase some of that with the amount of things that they've found. But if they come back empty handed, maybe they have to steal it. Maybe they have to find a sponsor. Maybe they have to find somebody willing to pay for their next expedition for a cut. There's some really fun stuff to do with that. Now, if this is a group that lives in underwater and near a shore, I tell players, make sure you play a character that can handle this. I uh, Don't worry, water breathing is going to be a cantrip that lasts this amount of time. It's very short. You have to keep casting it. only works for yourself. Um, water breathing down the line will work. If it's sci-fi, we have reed breathers. They work for 10 hours, 8 hours, 6 hours, whatever you want it to be. And make sure you have that time limit that they know that when they're underwater to breathe. Or you tell everybody you need to be a race that has water breathing. If you're playing one that doesn't have it and you want to play a hobgoblin that can breathe underwater, remove one thing from them and you can give them water breathing. Now, if you are playing deep ocean, instead of worrying about if people can breathe water or not, give everyone the ability to breathe water. Give some races or species the ability to uh, hold a breath for a long time. Give other ones that have a swim speed, and those who have swim speeds obviously are going to be able to breathe under it. And if they don't have the ability of a swim speed, give everybody water mounts. That's your first chance. Just, just think about how often your paladin has a mount and doesn't get to use it in a fantasy game, or how often a person who has a vehicle in Shadowrun but only gets to use it part of the time. Underwater, not the case. Vehicles work all the time. It's 360. It's a way to travel. It's a way to get there quick. You're no longer worrying about the red line. Design your adventures around the idea of water being freeing if it's a completely underwater campaign versus a hindrance. And instead, your surface world becomes the hindrance. It's a real flip to everything. And I, as my tip and trick, if you can afford to do this once in your life and you're not afraid of water, do diving, do snorkeling at least once in your life. I personally say do a saltwater and a freshwater because they're very different experiences. But if you can't do that, look up videos of people diving and really look at what they see, especially the deep, deep ocean stuff that people can do and look at freshwater diving. And this will give you great ways to describe visuals because unless they live there, they're not smelling it. If they are a species or a race that can smell underwater, then you have a bunch of other crazy things you get to create. Lastly, my tip is a lot of things underwater see differently than we do. Uh, and that is a great time to look up the idea of the color spectrum and try to explain things in a different way. Maybe colors become sounds. Maybe colors become taste. Maybe colors allow them to see the auras of people. Push the envelope for underwater. Let it be weird. Let it be out there and let it be unknown. <laughs> So that's it for episode 51, Underwater Adventures. If you have any questions, if you have any tales about how you have handled underwater combat, call them to the show. You can go to anchor.fm 
find EFP on there and call in, or you can do it from the app on your phone. It costs you zero dollars. The more people call in, the more I can put on the show. I see the people who listen. You should call in. On top of that, if you have been missing the Eric Frankhouse Presents Twitch channel, um, Authentia Dark Tides, just had our halfway episode six. It was an amazing episode. We'll be on YouTube this coming Monday, again, under Eric Frankhouse Presents. And if you love this podcast, share it with someone else who's a gamer. Let them enjoy what you're enjoying. The more people that have uh, this on their playlist, the more likely I am to have guests and new things to do. You consuming content drives me to make more. But that's it from me. Uh, I Actually, I lied. It's a parting shot, everyone. Cry or Die, there'll be a link down below. 25% of the purchase of these patches go to the Human Rights Organization. A good friend of mine is making these Pride Skull patches. We've aired them on our show. And I know other people out there want to support this. So purchase yourself a patch today. I believe it's free shipping. It's like $8 for a patch. And they have all sexual orientations. So that is it for EFP today, everybody. And like always... Watch, listen, learn. Be a better gamer.